Practical Wisdom from Above, the book of James. Give you a little background briefly. The author of James, all we know in the text is that it starts off, verse 1, James, a servant. That's the details that we get. However, through looking at different passages, different aspects of Scripture, we know that this is most likely not John's brother, James. Do you remember 1 John? We were going through 1 John together. And real quick, just as a way, just so you can remind me and maybe some others here, we went through 1 John as a congregation. What was 1 John about? Maybe three words, perhaps, that you guys could, could say for maybe those who weren't here or haven't heard yet. What was 1 John about? Good. Light, love, and life. Well, if you remember, John had a brother, James, and he was, you know, they were the, the sons of thunder. This is probably not that James. In fact, we find out in Acts chapter 12 that that James was uh, beheaded pretty, pretty early on. So this James, if you see in your notes there, is probably... Most scholars agree, the half-brother of Jesus, known as James the Just. Mark 6, 3 and Matthew 13, 55 list Jesus' brothers. Now, right away, we need to talk about this because some of you may have heard in the past, well, Jesus didn't have any brothers. There are some that would teach that, of course, there's the virgin birth with Jesus, Joseph Mary, they were engaged, and Jesus was to come, and then she, by the Holy Spirit, was given Jesus in her womb. And right away, Joseph, well, I guess, needed to divorce her, put her away quietly. But then the Lord sent an angel to explain to Joseph what was going on, and this was a miracle. So she was a virgin, which was part of the virgin birth, which is extremely important because not only does it fulfill prophecy, but it shows us that Jesus actually has a different nature than the rest of us. His nature is different. We have a sinful nature, all of us under Adam, all have a sinful nature. doesn't take long if you have kids. (laughs) You see it very quickly. Again, we have to teach children to share. We have to teach these, thing, these type of things to them. They don't naturally do it. None of us do. Jesus is different. Also why he doesn't have a sinful nature, so he never sinned, and thus he could be the perfect sacrifice. But then that, what some of the others will say is, well, and, and, and Mary remained a virgin her whole life because they try to make Mary's holiness something that it's not supposed to be. They want Mary to be holy and different than everyone else. Guess what? She is honored in the sense that she gave birth to the Lord. And that's completely by the grace of God that he chose her to do that. Her name is known throughout eternity because of that. It's not because of what she's done. It's because of God's grace. After Jesus came, as scripture says, her and Joseph became intimate and they had other kids. Okay? The teaching that Mary was her whole life a virgin is wrong. It's not biblical. And part of that is because we see these other children, Jesus' brothers and sisters. 
What's interesting in John chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, James and his brothers didn't really believe that Jesus was who he said he was right away. Now, for any of you in here who have siblings, I think you can identify with James on this. If your sibling was going to be the Messiah, you'd be like, nope, not my siblings, no chance. And what's interesting is, even though Jesus never did anything, as far as sin, anything like that, they still didn't see it. They lived with him. They would have seen that his life was different, but they wouldn't accept it. And what's interesting to me, before we really jump into the text, what's interesting to me is the fact that they, they didn't believe, John 7 tells us, they didn't believe Jesus was who he was, said he was. Sometimes we don't believe things because we don't want to. We don't believe things because we don't want to. I mean, would you really want to admit sibling rivalry going on? You'd really want to admit that your sibling is the Savior? <laughs> no. But what we see, he was there in Acts chapter 1 with the other disciples after Christ had resurrected. And there's something that changed in James when he saw his brother suffer, die, a bloody death on the cross as a sacrifice, and after three days, raised from the dead. The resurrection is where that power is. The same thing for, if you remember, with the disciples, right? They come to take Jesus away, and they start doing the hearings and everything. Where are the disciples at? They're gone. They're gone. After the Lord resurrected, and they have the power of the Holy Spirit, do you, there's a change in the disciples, a boldness, faith. The same is true for James. After the resurrection, he believes. Acts 12, in that area of Scripture, we see that Peter was around, but Peter left for a while, and the church still remained in Jerusalem. Acts 15 talks about the Jerusalem Council, which was very important as Christians were trying to discuss, the leaders were discussing, what about converts and should they have to uh, do all the things that the law says concerning uh, Judaism, or can they just convert? And there's this discussion happening, and, and, and Acts 15 says that James was the leader of this council. From doubting brother to the leader of the Jerusalem church. And Acts 21 and Galatians 1 talk about Paul going and visiting James and mentions him specifically. So why do I bring that up? Because again, any of us in James's place can understand that we probably wouldn't have right away believed that our brother, our sibling, was the Savior. And James didn't either, but when you look at the resurrection, you cannot doubt the truth of it. And he believes, and listen to this, he believes all the way until roughly what's, according to tradition, AD 62, he's stoned, where they throw stones at you until you die. Or he was thrown off of a building, didn't die, and then they went down and beat him and killed him for being a Christian. That's the power of the resurrection, that he saw something different. He had God's spirit inside of him now. He saw the resurrection of Christ, and he went from doubting brother leader of the church in Jerusalem, to martyr. Incredible. The date of this book, probably 40 to 48 AD. The reason that's there is because that Jerusalem council is not mentioned in the book of James. It was such a big deal 
It was probably in 49 or 50 AD, so it was probably would have been mentioned. So we, the, the scholars say it's probably sometime there. So realize Jesus dies 33 AD. This is, what, 10 years after that when this is written. New Testament scholars would say that the book of James might be the first, or it's one of the first books that were written in the New Testament. The occasion to encourage and warn those Christians who have been dispersed about suffering, wisdom, and worldliness. Quick introduction for you there on the book of James. Let's go ahead and jump into the text verse by verse. Starting in verse 1, James, who we just talked about, brother of Jesus, doubting brother at first, leader of the church in Jerusalem, ends up being martyred for his faith, a servant. We'll stop there. A servant. Translation here actually could be translated as bondservant, as some of your Bibles may say, or slave. Now, how many of you, again, with siblings, would like to call yourself a slave of God and a slave of your sibling? Many? No, definitely not. That shows the difference of what happened in James's heart. He's a slave. First thing I have for you guys this morning. You have two options. You have two options. Where are you at? You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. There's no other area. Oh, I'm not a slave to anything. No, then you're a slave to sin. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. Now, what's interesting about that is all of us are a slave to sin before, but when we trust in Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, we become slaves to Christ. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us and we become slaves to Christ. Now, there's a lot of freedom that's in Christ. We have great freedoms. Freedom to love. Freedom to not sin anymore. Freedom to serve with joy. A lot of freedoms. But at the same time, realize you've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. You are not your own. You are not your own. You belong to Jesus. So, when you belong to Jesus, guess what? You do what Jesus says. What's interesting and amazing about the gospel is you get God's spirit put inside of you and you do what Jesus says, but what's so amazing is if you're walking in step with God's spirit, you do it with joy. It's not a burden. It's great joy. But the first thing I want you to consider this morning is do I live my life in such a way that even though I'm not a slave to sin anymore and I am a slave to Christ, I do what I want to do. I don't do what Jesus wants me to do. I don't know where you are on that. Again, through the Holy Spirit, he'll reveal to you as we look at that. James, a slave, bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. This here, when James is writing, there's some debate on who exactly he's talking about. The twelve tribes, if you'll remember, from Israel. The twelve tribes of Israel. These, he would be writing to possibly the Jews who had become Christians from those 12 tribes and are spread out. But I think when we understand the 12 tribes in light of what we would see in Romans 9 or in Galatians 3, what actually happens is in Romans 9 and Galatians 3, Paul explains that everyone who is Jewish by their ethnicity, that doesn't mean that they're a son of Abraham. Just because you have the same blood as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
That doesn't mean you're actually Israel, is what Paul says. You're not actually Israel. You're only actually part of Israel, God's chosen people, if you have faith like Abraham does. If you have faith like Abraham does. So I'll submit to you that I think as James is writing this, when he's saying the 12 tribes, I think he's saying all of Israel, because that covers Israel, but he's not missing the point that it's those who have the Holy Spirit. We're going to see more on James with the Holy Spirit. So this is to all those who have faith like Abraham, the 12 tribes. So that means it's for us, which is great. All right, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. We talked a little bit about this in our series on joy during Advent. This is tough. This is really tough. Count it all joy, not just some joy, it's all joy when you meet various trials. How many of you, quick show of hands, when the trials come, when things get difficult, something bad's coming, do you say, all joy, woo, amen. Let me have a show of hands. Nobody. That's not our natural response. It's never our natural response. Trials? Oh, man. Again? Why me? Why me, Lord? Why us? been serving. I've been doing these things. Why are these trials coming? I don't understand. Right? You have a response that way? Why not them? Why me? Why not those bad people over there that live in another country? Why me? And Scripture has a completely different perspective. Count it all joy. Be like, trials? Okay. Doesn't mean you're necessarily happy we talked about this in the sermon series on joy. Not just happiness. Happiness, an emotion, comes and goes. This idea of joy, there's joy in your job, joy in other things, but this deep-rooted spiritual joy that comes knowing that you belong to Jesus and that he's doing everything for your good. That's what it's talking about here. It's this deep joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Various kinds, that means death happens, Sickness, strife with one another, strife in your marriage, your car gets broken into, whatever the trials are, you're to count it joy. You have to have a reason to count it for joy, though. Let's continue. Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. First thing, what is faith? We need to ask the question, what is faith? Let's go to Hebrews real quick. Flip over, it's just a page or two in most Bibles. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. This is a great section on faith, but we're just going to read verse 1. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay? So it's helped the, the writer of Hebrews is helping us define what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hope, as we said before, our hope is in Christ. We're hoping that when we die, we're going to go to heaven. That's the hope. We're going to have life with Christ, spend eternity with Christ. That's our hope. Faith is an assurance of that. 
That's going to happen. Now, let me ask you this real quick. Again, show of hands. If you've never doubted your faith, if you've never doubted God, if you've never doubted His goodness ever in your life, if you've never wondered, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm saved, I'm not sure if I'm going to go to heaven, raise your hand. Some in here have not doubted that, but a very small number. Many of us go through this struggle at times with doubting. You're not alone. If you're doubting, you're not alone. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen. Even though you don't see it with your eyes, you have conviction that it's true. You have conviction that it's true. To the degree that you're willing to fight for it and perhaps, if called to, willing to die for it. That's what it's talking about. That's helping us understand faith. Go back to James. So this testing of your faith, the things that you're hoping for, the assurance of the things you're hoping for, conviction of things not seen, what happens is, when your faith is tested, it produces steadfastness. Okay. I need a helper. Roy, would you be willing to come up? (laughs) I love springing this on people. Come up. Yeah, right over here if you would, brother, for a second. Okay. So... Well, what I want to work through is I want to give you a visual on this idea of faith and steadfastness, okay? So faith itself, we need to realize from Ephesians chapter 2, is a gift from God, okay? Faith is a gift that he gives us. So it's not works so that we, we, we can't boast, right? It's a gift. So when you first profess Christ, you get the Holy Spirit, okay? You have faith. It's a gift from God. Great. So if you can, brother, stand up on one foot and try to stand up on your toe for me. One foot and up on your, your toe. Okay? Okay, pretty good. Hey, give me a hand. That's pretty good. You don't get to leave yet. It's pretty good. So, let's say before, before, sit on this real quick, before he professes faith, go ahead and sit down real quick. He's not a believer yet in this scenario, okay? Feet up off the ground for a second. Good. Feet off the ground. Not a believer. This is good for the abs. Not a believer. Okay, now you can stand back up. He becomes a believer. Now he has faith. Here's his faith, okay? Now, back on that one foot and toe again, if you would. Okay. Okay, good. Okay, look. Watch this with me. A little bit of faith. He just became a believer. All he can do is get up on the toe, and his faith is not strong yet. A little shaky. Where does faith come from? Gift from God, but also how do, we, how do we grow? How does our faith grow? Where does it come from? Romans chapter 10, I'm thinking. Faith comes from the hearing the, the Word. Okay, so now we have the Spirit working with the Word together. So as Roy is now a believer, only knows a little bit of word, the Word, but he's growing in the Word. Now stand on just one foot, but not on your toe. Just one foot. Better. You seeing it? That's better. Nice. A little shaky still. Still a little shaky. And go up on that foot real quick. If anything were to come through, I could knock him over pretty quick probably, okay? Now, he grows in the Word. He grows by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you get both feet down like he is right now. How's this? Better? It's better. Oh, yeah. Okay? Now what happens is, as he continues to grow, let's go ahead and spread your feet a little bit. Oh, okay. 
kind of shoulder width apart. He grows in his faith. Knees get bent a little bit. This man is steadfast. Now, when something comes, check this out, he's steadfast. It's not going to move him. Thank you, Roy. You can go down. Appreciate it. So what's going to happen is, as our faith is tested, our faith grows. As our faith grows, we spread out, get stronger, stronger, dig our feet in. We're getting stronger and stronger by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that when these trials come, the first time we face them and we're up here like this, and sickness comes, we start doubting. Oh my goodness. When you get here and sickness comes, you know what you say? Okay, the Lord's will be done. Whatever he says, that's what's going to happen. Because ultimately, I have hope still. Even if I die or the loved one who's sick dies, God has promised that death doesn't have a sting anymore. Because we get to go be with him. That's part of how this works out. This is that faith that we're talking about, which leads to the steadfastness. Are you tracking with me so far? Does that make sense? Okay. So with this, it leads to steadfastness. Verse 4. Let it have its full effect. This is a kind of this passive idea of allow it to happen. Many of us, when we have trials, we want to run. Because we don't like them. They hurt and we want to run. Now, I'm not saying we don't try to do things. If, it's, if you're sick, you don't take medicine. Don't go there. Don't go too far with it. But we don't want these trials, okay? But if they're coming... Here's what we need to say. Okay. Lord, help me to be steadfast in this. Help me to grow in this. And let, it ha- let these things happen. Here's the thing. That means it requires a ton of patience to be long-suffering. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you are just naturally, especially before you were a Christian, patient people? <laughs> no. Again, our children, when they're just, oh, they're so sweet, two years old, aren't they really patient when they want their pacifier or bottle or something? They're so patient. They're just like, anytime you can get to it, mom, go ahead and get me my bottle. Appreciate that. No, I want it and I want it now. You know what's interesting is that's really us a lot of the time. We're the same way. Here's the thing. This is the idea of patience. For this to work itself out, when the trials come and things, we need to let this happen and say, Lord, I'm in your hands. Help me to be patient patiently endure this. That's why it's okay for us to pray to get out of situations and out of trials. It's okay. But again, the prayer needs to be, Lord, if it's your will, please remove this trial from me. But if it's your not, if, it, if it's not your will, then help me suffer well through this. Does that make sense? Jesus again, right? Remove this cup from me. He knew it was coming, but he said, not my will. Your will be done, Father. Okay? That's what's going on in this part of the passage is what we're seeing is it will only, we will only be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, if we allow this to happen. Faith is fundamental to everything that we do and believe. That's why it's faith. And the way that we're going to be perfected, and if you remember, faith, hope, and love, these three remain, but the greatest of these is love. Well, but I thought faith was really important. Well, again, these are intertwined. And the thing about love in that scenario is faith and hope are ultimately for yourself for yourself. Love is about others. I think that's what Paul's getting at in that section when he's saying that. But again, faith, hope, love, they're intertwined together. And if we do this, we will continue to persevere. And if we persevere, Scripture says, if we persevere, 
we're going to get the crown of glory in the end. But we have to persevere. All right, moving on. Lacking nothing. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Big point here in Scripture, guys. Huge. First thing is, if anyone lacks wisdom, any of you lacks wisdom, first thing you need to understand that you need to be humble to know that you lack wisdom. Many of us don't realize that we lack wisdom because we think we've got it figured out. You have to be humble, number one, and realize that you need wisdom. I need wisdom. We need wisdom. So as a church, we need to be humble and say, Lord, we don't have it all figured out. We need your wisdom. If you have your sheet with you, I want to just say a few things about wisdom. Because again, what's wisdom? Why are we talking about wisdom? Wisdom, the ability to discern what is true, right, and lasting. The ability to discern, to tell what is true and false, what is right and wrong, and what will continue on. That's what wisdom is. The ability to apply the truths of Scripture to life. Here's the thing. Scripture teaches knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge could be something like this. Hey, that's a gun. I know that. I even know how to shoot a gun. I've got a lot of knowledge. I don't know when I should shoot the gun, when I should keep it in its holster, because I don't have wisdom. That's what wisdom helps you see, when you should do things and when you shouldn't. So the scriptures, you may know a lot of the scriptures, which is a good thing. In fact, it's the scriptures that ultimately make us wise. But you may not know how to apply those scriptures yet to life. That's where wisdom comes in. That's the difference. A few things that wisdom says. Proverbs 3.13, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and, pro, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. That's talking about wisdom. Better than gold, better than silver, better than jewels. Do you believe that? Do you believe that wisdom from God is more important than all that and worth more than that? If you don't, you need to cry out to God to ask him to show you that. Listen to this. Proverbs 24. My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honey, honey, honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. That's wisdom. Proverbs 19.8. Whoever gets sense... Wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will discover good. Proverbs 8, For whoever finds me, this is wisdom talking here, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. If you love yourself in a good way and you want life, seek wisdom. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Just a couple more here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That's where it begins with the proper fear of the Lord and understanding who you are, who He is, and that you need salvation from Him. Two more. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The law of the Lord, His word is how, what God uses to make us wise. 
And then this also helps make us wise, Psalm 90, 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Realizing that you're going to die, unless Jesus comes back, you're going to die. You are. Realizing that will give you a heart of wisdom because you will, your days will be important. The decisions you make, you'll care about. And you'll realize that your end is coming and are you ready for that? It will give you wisdom. So when we go there, verse 5 back in James, if any of you lacks wisdom, if you don't have that or enough of it yet, you don't know how to apply the scriptures perhaps, you don't know what to do, you know what? It's really hard. It's a really hard thing. How are we going to get wisdom? It's so difficult. It's really not. Look what it says. Let him ask God. Solomon did it. And until Jesus, he was the wisest man ever. Because that's what he asked for was wisdom. We need to be a people who are constantly humble enough to know that we don't know it all and that we need to be humble enough to ask God, please give us wisdom individually, as families, and as a congregation. Let's continue to ask God for wisdom. God who gives generously, our God is a generous God, to all without reproach. You know what that reproach means? You know what that means? It's without a rebuke. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been given something? Someone gives you something and then they talk about what they just gave you and kind of make you feel bad about it? You ever had that? Someone's going to give you something. Oh, what? That's a great, what a nice gift. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you really deserve it, but I'm going to go and give it to you anyway. Or, hey, that's a big sacrifice I'm making here, but here you go. And you're like, oh, thanks. You don't want to ask. You don't even want to keep it, really. You're like, I'd rather not have it if it's going to be like this. And then every time they see, hey, how about that thing I gave you? Right? It's like, oh, man, I wish I never got it, to be honest with you. That's not what God does. God gives it without reproach. He says, here, it's yours. Ask. You want more? Here, it's yours. little wisdom. Hey, wisdom in the back. Wisdom in the front. Anywhere. If you ask. But here's the key. Watch what it says. And this is where we're going to end today. But let him ask in faith even though you not necessarily see it right away, are you going to have conviction that it's there, that God's going to do it? Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Ultimately, when you're doubting, when God has just said, anytime you ask, I'm going to give it to you, and then you doubt that he's going to do that, guess what? You're doubting God himself. You're doubting his character. You're saying, you might be telling the truth. How do you think the one who's created all things, who is sovereign, writes to everything, is going to respond when he says, no problem, you want it, I love you, you ask, I'll give it to you, and you go, but will you really? I'm not sure because it's been 10 minutes since I asked and I don't, I don't see it yet. Look what scripture says. Here's what's going to happen. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Realize this. It's not that God isn't good and won't give. He'll give freely if you want wisdom. He'll give freely if you want his son. If you want salvation, he gives it freely. But if you doubt it, if you doubt him, that he's true to his word, then you don't get it. We want to be a people who believe God. We have faith, even though we don't see God. Do we see him? No. We see him working all around. Do we always see the wind? Do we see wind itself or do we see the effects of wind on flags, on trees, as the dust goes by, as your boat gets moved? 
don't doubt him. He's good. He loves you. If he says it, he's going to hold to it. You know how many promises that God has ever broken? Know how many? Zero. You can see it in Scripture, and you can hear it in the testimony of the saints. You can trust him. We're going to leave now. I'm going to have Roy come on up. I'm going to close in prayer. Here's the big ideas for today. One, ask yourself, am I a slave to Christ? Like James, am I truly following him or am I doing what I want to do? If you have never given your life to Christ, again, today's the day to do that. When we pray, you can pray in your seat, crying out to him, or you can come down. We can talk after the service. Second, are you counting it all joy when the trials come? Some of you are facing some pretty hard trials right now. I know that. I know that you are. Let me encourage you to count it all joy because the God who loves you, the God who's over everything, is using it for your good and he's going to create a stronger foundation in you if you'll allow it to happen. Lastly, are you humble enough to say you don't know it all? Are we humble enough to say as a church we don't know it all? And can we cry out and ask God for wisdom together? Let's pray. God of all mercy, God of all wisdom, God of all grace, God of our hope, you are a loving, giving God. You are wonderful. You are mighty. You are holy. And we are thankful for the fact that we can even have a relationship with you when we do not deserve it. We shouldn't have one. But by sending your son, your perfect son, to die on the cross in our place for our sins. And after three days, he rose for our salvation so that we could be justified before you and have this relationship. And now, anytime we ask, you will give us wisdom as long as we have faith that you'll do it. Lord, we pray together now, if there's anybody in here, Lord, that today they would cry out to you for salvation, Lord. We pray that as we're working through these things, Lord, that we would understand that we need to be your slaves. Serve you. With all joy, serving you. That's what we are anyway, even though we don't always recognize it. Help us to see that today. And Lord, help us to be humble and ask for your wisdom, especially in these trials that we're facing or will be facing. Give us wisdom to understand it. Help us to speak wisdom to one another. We're thankful. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.